Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. And as I was telling you, I was really excited to speak with this woman when we first started our show uh, and had Tech Tuesday as a mission uh, because she was out there getting black girls to code. Van Jones was supposed to do the black boys and Kimberly <laughs> Bryant was like, give me the baton. I'm going to go get black girls to code. And she founded Black Girls Code and hundreds and hundreds of black girls are coding and in this field because of her. I'm going to welcome her other uh, her alum in in a second, but let me welcome the great Kimberly Bryant to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi. What's up, Queen? Hi, Karen. It is so good to see you, sister, and I want to just give honor to you because I know this is your eighth year, eighth or tenth year anniversary. Eight, yes. And, yes. And I think fantastic, and I, I just want to give you your flowers on that as well. Thank I'm you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, this, this, being able to sit in this space and get to talk to incredible people who are doing things, but more importantly, you know, to have folk like you come on to give the blueprint because it's inspiring. There's somebody out there in another part of the world who's like, I want to do that. So Mm -hmm. for people who don't know the foundation, the founding of black girls code, please educate, please tell us. Absolutely. I, I feel like I told this story so many times before, and it, it but it doesn't get old to me because it's so near and dear to my heart. Um, but the story of Black Girls Code was that back in 2010, my daughter, Kai, who was about to go into middle school, really started to express this interest, if you will, in coding, um, gaming to be exact. And I was looking for ways to get her involved in learning these skill sets. Like I am an engineer by trade. I was here in the Bay Area working in biotech. Um, So I wasn't technically a coder myself, although I had been taught that. And here my daughter was showing an interest. And when I looked around, you know, I'm right here in the valley and I looked around, like I did not see many organizations that were focusing on little black girls, like that just didn't exist. Like an organization specifically for black girls wasn't out there. So I put her in things that she was the only little kid from a marginalized community in most of these settings. In many of them, she was the only girl. And as a mother, I was so fiercely protective of my child. I I still am. She's 23 now, but I'm still (laughs) fiercely protective of this kid. And I wanted, I saw that she had a spark, you know, around this coding thing and I didn't want her to lose it. And although I was working and, you know, fulfilled in my career as an engineering manager, I decided to take a step out of that career field. And I was like, okay, this organization to create her tribe doesn't exist. So I'm on creative. Like, I don't know how to do it. I had no professional background in the nonprofit industry. Didn't even know if I wanted the organization to be a nonprofit. I didn't know anything, but I wanted to create a safe space for my daughter and girls like her. And I started this organization with that pure mission as a mother, trying to protect and create an opportunity for a daughter in 2011. And over the years, I saw it expand exponentially to include not only girls like Kai, but girls like Azure, the alum that's coming on and thousands, you like you say hundreds, but it's actually been about 30 plus thousand girls that have been part of the organization, both here in the U.S. and abroad, all the way to like Johannesburg. So wow, it, it was purely though, it was purely like me protecting my 
kid and my child and wanting to create space for her dreams and and to make sure that they could become reality. And that's how it all started. Well, let's welcome in one of your seed. Uh, Kimberly Bryant is here, <laughs> founder and CEO of Black Girls Code. And Azure Butler is an alum. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hello. Hi, thank you. All right. So where were you in the world when Black Girls Code came into your life and why did you want to be a part of it? I was 13. It was 2014. And a friend invited me to go to Black Girls Code first ever hackathon, which sounded awesome. Um, I've told this story so many times. I wanted to know how to hack. I wanted to like Mission Impossible something as soon as possible. And it sounded like such a cool event. And my friend ended up not liking it as much as I did. But for me, it felt like home. Like I just wanted to know everything about computers and IT, et cetera. And like, I was just so intrigued by it, but it wasn't something that I would have ever thought of for myself at that age. But what 13 year old really wants, knows what they want to do. Well, but, a lot, a lot. But hold on, Azure, because you said you wanted the Mission Impossible things. Like, what was the <laughs> what was the plan? Like, you know, Kimberly's daughter wanted to do games, right? What What was your Mission Impossible? Um, I don't know. I just wanted to. Um, I have so many interests. Honestly, I've dabbled in every aspect of STEM. Um, into adulthood, I still haven't picked like my niche. But tech has always been very close to my heart, even though I lean more towards the more literature side. I'm a political science major, and I also really love history and English, which is why I want to pursue cyber law, because I want to write policy within tech and for our government to protect us. That's what I want to do in the future. But at the time, I was just a kid raised on 80s sci-fi that just was really interested in anything and everything involving science and STEM. Uh, you are a Arizona State University class of 2024 person. You're, you're uh, going to graduate in a couple of years. Oh, my gosh. And how did code open your world, Black Girls Code, to be exact? It opened my world in so many ways because, first off, it helped me become a much more confident person to be able to not only code something, but to explain what it does and explain what your project is. It takes a lot of thought to be able to express those kinds of things it can be very hard. And explaining things on larger platforms is what's helped me become who I am today. I've been teaching at our summer camp since I was 16 and I started volunteering when I was actually 14 as a tech assistant. Once I had done all of our events at the time, I learned how to program a website in a day, game in a day, et cetera. So once I had done all of our events, I started volunteering to help girls my age. And then by the time I became 16, I started teaching at our summer camps. So I've been teaching consistently every summer since I was 16. And it helps me to understand what I'm learning at my level to be able to explain it to the younger girls. That's honestly how I learn by explaining things. Well, 
you know, the legacy of Kimberly Bryant is long uh, and Azure. Thank you for sharing uh, just a, a peek into uh, this woman's tentacles and how she's uh, inspired a generation of young girls to want to, to do this uh, because this is the future, right? This is where the next trillion dollar company is going to come. It's going to come in tech. And if we're not in tech and not just as marketers, but on the other mm-hmm. side, you know, being able to build companies from scratch, like Zuckerberg, like, like uh, the Google guys, like to be able to build from scratch with our own ingenuity, we're going to be once again, someone powering other people's billion and trillion dollar ideas and not making them ourselves. So um, Kimberly Bryant unmatched in this area, black girls code, I was heartbroken this summer as I'm reading these stories about you being ousted from your own company. And it gave me, uh, it triggered me because I, I formed a company uh, back in the nineties during the dot-com uh, craze. And, you know, I had investors from Bear Stearns that wanted to tell me how to run my vision. And then when I wouldn't do it, they wanted to go get somebody else to come in to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, try it. <laughs> This whole thing, like I'm, I'm in my twenties. So I'm like, you can kiss my ass, and I'll let this thing burn before I give it over to somebody. That's where I was in my twenties. Maybe I would do something different now. I doubt it, but tell us what happened, because I'm, I'm still like, oh, these people. Yes. What happened? What had happened, Kimberly Bryant? So I, that story, res- your story, like resonates with me deeply because I think as a creative and as a creator, I think about girls like Azure, like I feel like a a second mother, like I don't want to say I'm their mother, but I feel like a second mother to them. Like honestly and truthfully, that is why I created this organization. I birthed it, you know, from my being. And I often have said and described it as a love letter to my daughters and other daughters, like girls like Azure. It is that. So when I went through these, these devastating actions by my board, I'm just put it like that. It was devastating to have the thing that I birthed literally from with everything, all my resources, all my energy, all of my spirit, everything is on the table. Like that's what I have poured into the organization for 10 years. And it was ripped from me. Um, by allegations that were unsubstantiated by the foundation that actually said they needed to remove me from that which I created. And I felt a lot like you did when you were 20. And I'm I'm 20 plus 20 plus with some years on that. It felt like that, like how, how dare you remove me from my baby? How, how dare you take this away from me? How dare you disenfranchise? the thousands of girls and community that believe in, and not only the mission, but they believe in me as a little black girl who founded this organization for other black girls. And so it's been a battle, if you will, to remove these bad actors from my board of directors who, you know, we brought allegations or I brought these allegations of, you know, breach of their fiduciary duty, the breach of charitable trust, uh, mismanagement of philanthropic dollars, and, and not even to mention the things, the legacy defaming that they've done of me with no no substantiation to those claims. I and mean, so for me, it's, go ahead. Karen, no, I'm I was sorry. just going to say the stories, <laughs> is, you know, they got stories in Forbes and I'm like, uh-uh. So I reached out immediately. Yeah. I'm like, sis, 
you did what you what you need <laughs> like this this is yeah so so you tell- did and, and it's funny because you know when you did I, I I initially although I certainly was frustrated and personally felt so attacked that I I certainly verbalized this on Twitter I did not have any media calls I didn't like actively go out and seek media I was surprised when you know my board of directors started to throw out these comments of unsubstantiated comments to media sources myself. And and I didn't even know that I was being investigated initially. And it was with their comments to the press that made me respond. I didn't go looking for any media formal press because I was just as shell-shocked, if you will, as anyone else, but because I, I knew that these things that were being said about me were untrue. And eight plus months later, after an investigation, that the investigator determined that those things were also untrue. And these but, people still removed me from the organization. And I was going to say, Forbes, you know, there are no major stories and headlines saying unsubstantiated, you know, claims not found. Um, you know, like the equal vigor that they go after you, they don't uh, exonerate you equally. You know, it's Absolutely. the same energy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, that is is the reason like I have personally with my own funds um, brought at least four different actions against this board of directors. There are two state law cases. There have been at least two federal law cases. Um, the latest federal case, you know, is about that. There are about 13 causes of action around this board and their misdealings. And um, and finally, you know, their improper discharge of me. So wrongful termination has got added to the claim because I was removed uh, with no cause. And they basically said, we can do it. And so we're going to do it and remove you from your board of directors as well. And I think that's unfair. It's, it feels like a betrayal on so many levels to to found something. We're talking with Kimberly Bryant. Azure Butler is here. We're going to talk a little bit about what the alum of Black Girls Code are doing. Uh, Kimberly, of course, founded this organization 11 years ago, and it has thousands of alum now because of this woman's vision. How does this happen? So for me, um, I determined I will never give anyone I don't care. I will never take money from anyone. I won't. I'm going to do if I got to, you know, put bubble gum and whatever, go sell pizzas, whatever I got to do. I'm going to fund my own, including sitting here. I'm like, OK, I'm not going to go out. We're going we're going to be partners in a different kind of way, because what I realized in that moment is that I, I gave them the license to do whatever they thought that, that needed to be done. And they only cared about the bottom line. They didn't care about the vision, the mission even though they bought into that, they give you money because they love your story. It's almost like they love our rhythm, but not our blues. They're not going to rock with you to the end, right? They love, oh, I love this story. Oh, but we can do a better pat on the head. As if something that you gave birth to, you can do. I was like, go ahead, let's see you try it. So I know you feel similarly. How did, how did it happen? Was it in bringing in funds? Because nonprofits, you you have this this thing and then you have the board and, you know, how do you know if yes. somebody's going to betray you? So, yes. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that folks should understand about nonprofit organizations and the structure of nonprofit organizations is that you have founders and CEOs and EDs and all the people that do the work. Like we're the ones that do the heavy lifting. But there's this interesting structural element to a nonprofit organization that you have a board of directors that sits up here 
and they can basically call a lot of the shots. They can even make a decision to remove, as it is was in my case, to remove a founder or CEO without cause if that's what the bylaw says. And, and that's what happened in my case. There were some um, cultural issues we were dealing with as an organization, some folks that had issues that with some of that turmoil in the organization. And they just found uh, within some members of our board of directors, a ready, a ready candidate that was a bad actor to utilize that internal turmoil to their advantage. And while I had been really trying to hold this person accountable for a lot of their mismanagement before this these issues started to occur in the organization. When they did, that kind of lit the match that gave them an opportunity to put steps in place to move me and remove me from the organization that I founded. And because it's a nonprofit and because board governance allows a board of directors to have power within that structural framework, it's, it's a bit different, you know, than a for-profit company when there's board votes that have board seats and it's different in a nonprofit. The board itself really has a lot of power from governance uh, perspective. And there's not a lot of oversight to that. So no one's watching the watchers, if you will. And so it only takes one bad actor or one rotten apple, if it if, as it were, to cause all kinds of havoc within a nonprofit organization. Um, and that's what occurred. And in our particular case, you know, we went from having probably at most we had raised, you know, seven or eight million dollars by 2020 after the summer of unrest or the summer of this, these, I want to say all these actions that grassroots um, activists put into place after the murder of George Floyd. We had this Deleuze, like really an avalanche of support from everywhere, like all the way from all the way across the ocean to Ireland. We were getting checks from people in, you know, these little hamlets of Ireland that were doing these little um, poker um, nights. And it, we were getting checks from everywhere. Little, little boys in Connecticut doing a um, lemonade wow. stand. And at the end of 2020, we had over $40 million in our wow. bank account. Kimberly. That's about uh, 40 million. So like when I looked at the time when I was here last and I talked to you, we had just got that 3 million from Mackenzie Scott. Yes. And I was like, well, it's 3 million. It's not 30. But at the end of the year, we were literally sitting on about 40 million. And I was like, we have to move this. Money. I talked about an endowment when I was on your show at that time. And I literally had to fight with one particular board member to establish that endowment with those funds because they were blocking those efforts. And I believe it was self-interest and why they were blocking those efforts. And they did not make those deposits until this year sometime to my understanding, but I haven't seen any reports on that. And so I think it's it's just really this whole notion of, you know, funny how money changes situation. Come on. <laughs> As uh, Lauren said, and that you know, these were board members that have never, to my knowledge, even to this day, given the organization a dime. And they've been on the board for four, four or five years. They've never given a dime. Hardly were engaged in, in board committees. And these are the folks, once those fundraising dollars start to come in, um, that automatically show all of a sudden an interest in, in taking over some of the power and control of the organization. And that's what they did. 
can they give themselves money? It's $40 million. Can they give money to organizations that they are involved in? Like I'm trying to figure out the, the goal of removing the, the lifeblood of an organization that garnered the $40 million because primarily the story and the work, the, the Azores yes. of the world that you have motivated into this space. What's, what's the gain of remove from, you know, removing you from this to control the money and then what? Like, what's what's the game plan? Well, let's let's put it like this. Before I was ousted from the board as well as terminated as CEO, just in the last 60 days now, it was in August 12th, I hadn't seen a financial report for the org- from the organization all year long. That's eight months. I hadn't seen a financial report. So who knows where those funds were being spent? Uh, when I did see a financial report, I could see that we were running about almost three million in the red, and about two million of that was dollars that was being expended for lawyers and legal fees to fight me, the founder, and at, at the cost of about a thousand dollar per hour for about twenty plus attorneys to fight me. I'm one person. <laughs> I'm one woman living modestly. Like I, I, I'm i not Elon Musk. It's like I don't have Elon Musk dollars. But these folks were using Black Girls Code philanthropic dollars to the tune of about $2 million. That's now. We haven't even gotten to trial yet um, to get me out of the way. So I think that would make anyone wonder and take a, a you know, a couple of seconds to think about why. It took me about five years to raise $2 million at Black Girls Code. You know, I've been on here multiple times. That's not a small sum. So if you are spending two plus million dollars to remove a founder because someone doesn't like her leadership style, that tells me that there's more to the story than that. And that's why I have, you know, I mean, it's a lot to give because I, like I said, I found this organization out of my savings. I gave every bit of my 401k savings to start BGC. And it's it's an unfortunate full circle moment that I am spending all my savings, every bit oh, of money I've ever been able to self put away. You know, thankfully, my daughter had graduated and um, she was okay, but I have really given everything to this organization because I care about it. And I, more than anything, I care about girls like Azure. Like I, I want them to see me stand on truth. That's what I was teaching them. Yeah, I was teaching them coding skills, but more than anything, my prayer was for them to, to, to figure out and learn, even for me as an example, how to stand on your truth as a Black woman, because there will be people that try to tear you down no matter what you achieve. And so every day that I get up and I have to deal with these people, every day that I get up and I have to pay my lawyers to fight these people, every day I have to go to court and stand up for the name that I created in 2011 when there wasn't anything. There was in a Black Girls Code organization. It was just this thought, this Black Girls Code, this affirmation. I do it for them. That's why I do it, because I want them to know that they can go through the valleys, but if they stand on the truth, they can make it on the other side. 
And so this, this fight for me, this battle, if you will, for me, is about more than just saving an organization. It's about more than just saving my legacy. It is about showing my girls, you know, how to walk as a Black woman in this world. And some of the things that they're going to have to go through that are not so pretty, but I want them to see that they can make it through. For those girls, and Azure, thank you again for showing up today for Kimberly Bryant. Um, for those girls, for those women, for those men that uh, have a dream to do something and they put their lifeblood into it only to have this happen, what would you have done differently? How could this have been avoided? Give us a blueprint for the pivot as well, Kimberly. Well, for me, and I, I've talked about this quite a bit over the last year is like you said, you know, I feel like you got to keep your circle so very tight. Uh, when I founded Black Girls Code, I had this notion of creating as a grassroots organizer, which we did. And so, so many times over the last 10 years, it's been the community that has been the backbone of this movement. But when we were sort of in that mode of growing up the organization, I was told, like so many founders are told, well, you need to get this person and that person and this person on your board to validate you and your work and what you're doing. And that's what I was looking to do when I brought on this board of directors in 2018. Like we started in 2012. Um, we had already been doing the work. I didn't need their expertise in that way, but I was told I need their names and their their plan to legitimize the work, if you will. And I bought into that. So there was a lot of people that I brought in as board of directors that I had no personal knowledge of whatsoever. I had never worked with these individuals. I didn't know them from Mary and Jane or Judd. I, I didn't. And I think it's okay at times to build that way, but you have to build cautiously. So I say trust, but verify. I don't think I verified enough. And if mm -hmm. I were to do it over again, and as I advise other founders, I say, you know, it's important to have folks that are going to be in your, uh, in your corner and have your back when things are going good, as well as when things are going not so good. And if you don't know these people in the beginning, there is no reason they need to be on your cap table. There is no reason they can be on your board. And if you do your due diligence and you find some bad actors in there, mm -mm, go in the other way. And so for me, you know, like there have been literally, I want to say hundreds of women and other founders, lots and lots of black women that have approached me over the last year and shared similar stories or shared concerns that they're having in, in this area. And so for me, I feel really called to do the work that ensures this doesn't happen to other founders, that ensures this doesn't happen to other creators. I'm doing that, you know, very directly as an advisor, um, a board advisor for several different Black founders and women who are founders, but I'm also looking to do that in my work. I feel there is a need for a handbook for Black women that are CEOs and EDs of a nonprofit space to tell them how to avoid some of these pitfalls. So that is certainly a bucket list item for me. Um, but my even bigger, larger vision is to really figure out how we can transition into ownership, um, not just leadership. I think it is important for us to change the narrative around um, Black advancement to one of a conversation that is just about how do we create something and own it, 
Like I created Black Girls Code as a nonprofit, but I don't own anything that's related to that. And that's unfortunate. But wow. girls like the jewel that are coming through our organization, they need to know how they become the owners, if you will, of the things that they create. And so my work in venture capital and the future and my work in creating a network of Black Innovation Labs is just for that, is to change the conversation in this capitalistic framework on how we get ownership and give ownership in the tech space to Black and Brown founders that look like me so that we really change the trajectory of our communities for generations and generations into the future. Kimberly Bryant, you can follow her at Six Gems, G-E-M-S, and at Black Girls Code, which I think you do still own on the Twitters. That's yours. Is that still nope. yours? That's not your Girl! Oh. Oh. Lost <laughs> all of it. <laughs> me, oh, my God. Did, 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 did they use a sister? Did they use a Black woman to take you out? I'm just... Yeah. Oh, come on, y'all. Come on. So, all right. Um... This bothers me, uh, not as much as it bothers you, but it, it is such a blueprint for how we lose so much, um, because not everyone could do what you did, yeah. not everyone, and to come in eleventh hour, eleven years later, and snatch the thing that was, it, it takes that long to, you know, I to say, you, oak tree doesn't happen overnight. You put all right. of that, all of them nutrients in the soil to produce this thing. Ooh, there's evil out there. Um, but you know, for me, the the day when I I noticed that they took my name and picture of me and my daughter off the website, and I think on the website now, if you look on Black Girls Code, they give me one line. So for ten years to eleven years, I got one line that said Black Girls Code was founded by Kimberly Bryant. That's all I got, and and I think that hurt. Like that hurt me to my core deeply. And it wasn't for vanity, but it was for like, you reduced my legacy and my work to one line from this organization that has changed the trajectory and conversation about what you think of when you think of Black women in technology. So many women, not just girls like Azure, have told me that. Like Black Girls Code has meant so much to them. And so I think it's a cautionary tale, if you will, of, you know, it's not just about others outside of our community that often try to take us down when we're at the top. Sometimes, you know, the enemy is in your own house. And that's unfortunate. Usually Judas was a real thing. Um, Azure, Azure uh, Butler, soon to be uh, in the journalism field, which I, I or English, I'm sorry, English literature. You gonna, what? Tell me, tell me where you're going to be. What? Lawyer. Cyber Lawyer. Law. Cyber law. Sorry. Sorry. And I heard English and then I've just leaned into that. Um, you guys, the alum, are doing something. Uh, you have a GoFundMe project. Please tell me about it. And I can't even imagine what the legal fees are like. Well, I can. Uh, tell us what, what, why you were inspired to, to get involved in helping to uh, not just clear Kimberly Bryant's name, because her name is always going to be golden as far as I'm concerned, but to set the record straight for the people who don't know. Yeah. Um, we mostly just want to support Kim the way that she supported us. Kim raised us. Kim has been in my life for nearly my entire life. I was 13 and Kim has shaped me into who I am today. And I have been all over the country and the world even 
because of Black Girls Code, going to conferences, speaking on panels. I, I helped launch the Seattle chapter. I flew to Seattle a few times as a senior in high school. And I also went to South by Southwest because of that. And I want to see other girls win. And I know that Kim is capable of getting them there because she was able to help all of us. Kim will always be our mentor and our mom, and we want to support her in any way that we can, especially financially, because we benefited so much from it growing up. Is there a link for people to? There is a link on my Twitter. Um, Kim, Which is what? do you happen to? What is your Twitter? It is at Azor, A-Z-0-R-E. A-Z-0-R-E. Okay. A-Z-0-R-E. All right. I'm there. I'm there <laughs> right now. Uh, there we go. I see you. You be posting a lot of stuff. You got your Black Lives Matter up. I see it. I see it. Okay. And we're <laughs> on there. I got it. I got it. We're going to tweet it out. Um, this last thing. Um you know, because the, these spirits, these are spiritual battles, Kimberly. We're not fighting flesh and blood. And the lessons that you've learned through the last year and change, I think, will set the framework for the rest of what you're going to do next. And it's going to be powerful. What message do you want to leave us with, um, those of us who support you? I think I, I will leave it with this message that I tweeted out the other day on my on Twitter was like, and it was a quote from Michelle Obama that you you can't really focus on the legacy while you're in it. You got to think of a legacy after you go and what that is. And I would say addendum to that is that while you can't like focus all your time on what your legacy is going to be when you're building, I think about, you know, the benefits that I have felt in planting those good seeds and seeing them now, it doesn't matter, like you said, what those folks are trying to do over there, because I got nothing but to look at Azure and be overwhelmed with pride at the young Black woman that she is. And that's the legacy, right? That's the living embodiment of yes. legacy. And that's about planting those good seeds. Now, I'm a gardener. You look at my Twitter, you probably see some gardening <laughs> posts. But it's taught me so much about uh, really working in nature and planting good seeds and being patient to see those seeds sprout up and into good. Like, and that is what you know this work is about. Well, Azor. Your mighty, mighty oak tree that Kimberly planted as an acorn. Thank you both for being here. We tweeted out everything. So follow us at SXM Urban View. Let me thank everybody. Thank you, Kimberly. You have an open seat here. Come back anytime, ma'am. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.